Thank you for listening to Servants for Christ. In all that we do, in all that we say, we want to give glory and honor to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning us in as we get into the wonderful Word of God. For the next few minutes, let's take the beautiful Word of God and share it with each and every one of you as we have a sense of anticipation to take the Word of God and to listen to its truth for each and every one. chapter 4 Philippians chapter 4 as we get ready to go on a journey into the wonderful word of God we look at the book of Philippians chapter 4 that we realize that it was founded on Paul's second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16 the church at Philippi was a source of real joy to him Hearing that Paul was a prisoner in Rome, the Philippian believers sent a special love offering. And in this letter, Paul wrote to express his thanks. He also wrote to explain why Epaphroditus, their messenger, had been delayed and to encourage the believers to work together to bring unity to the church. And so, here we see a letter that Paul begins to conclude with the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians. And of that letter, it's a presentation of Christ as the believers have life and power. It was a unifying power, a fortifying power, and a purifying power. But I'm glad that as it did a great work on behalf of the spiritual role model that Paul was, we realized that there were two women that were in the church Euodia and Sintica that were arguing with each other that brought a disruption within the body of Christ and in the entirety of the church. And so, Paul asked a godly man in verse 3 to help reconcile these women. Amen. Uh, and he tells us in verse 3, And I entreat you also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. He goes on in verse 4, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. In other words, even to your enemies. He goes on, he said, The Lord is at hand. In verse 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything, listen, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. In verse 7, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Father, we ask Lord, your blessing upon the Word of God. Lord, we pray for that power 
that unifying power, that fortifying power in our prayer because we read about prayer and then we read about peace in verse 7. We know that God's peace will fortify and it will guide our hearts. And so, help us to fix our thoughts on what is true, good, and right. As Paul sets the spiritual role and turns the, the, thermo- the, the thermometer up to a very challenging benefit for every one of us who are in the family of God. And now, Lord, I pray, help us as we get into our series. Uh, Lord, help me to pray. In Jesus' marvelous mighty name, amen. I want to talk to you just for a little bit about the way believers should pray. The way believers should pray because he told us that we're to be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, I want you to take a step with me as we step down the road in the book of Philippians. And we begin to look and realize that Paul is wanting to do a great work. Every one of us, uh, I'm glad that we can walk with the Lord. But I'm going to challenge you because there are two very important truths when it comes to regarding prayer. And they are, listen, prayer is the greatest power in the universe. And number two, prayer is the greatest need in the life of a believer. Did you catch that? Did you start the steps of walking on this journey tonight with me as we look at the way that believers should pray? Prayer is the greatest power in the universe, and prayer is the greatest need in the life of the believer. Now, I'm glad that uh, how to make it a real part of everyday living in all of our lives, I thank God as we look and realize that in order for us to be able to make everything real every day when we live for the Lord, the way that believers should pray, we need to help believers know what prayer is, how to do it, how to make it an internal part of our daily life in order to get over the obstacles and the trials and the hardships of life. Prayer is the bridge that we build to get over all obstacles and hardships on the road of life. And so, when we look at that bridge that we're building, uh, we look at a bridge, and in that bridge, to get over the obstacles, to get over the hardships of life's roads, First of all, we see prayer has a path. To begin with, we look at what I call the path of prayer. In order to pray the Christian way, we've got to look, first of all, at the background of what prayer itself is. Prayer is one of the most unnatural, most natural and instinctive exercises of every born again on the planet. Millions of people pray throughout the world. It's a a habit that's universal. But I want to tell you, many people may not pray to God of the Bible through Jesus Christ, His Son, but the fact remains that people of all ages pray. 
I remember going through uh, the streets of Korea and I would run into the Buddhist and how the Buddhists would come into the villages to receive uh, donations. I would pass them many times on the path, as I would call it, downrange. And I would look and see the Buddhist passing me and probably how that the Buddhists had their ways of praying. Not saying anything against that. But prayer becomes intensified in times of trouble and given an emergency serious enough. But listen, I don't know a person on the face of the earth that would not bow their knees in prayer. But we find in the Bible that people prayed to God from the earliest days of Enoch. And you know what? There are some places in the Bible that prayer is never mentioned. You say, how do you know? Because I know. I've looked at every book in all of the 66 books, and there's probably about either two or three books in the entire book that has nothing of prayer in there. But I'm glad that there's always, on the heart of every born-again Christian, there ought to be a prayer. Genesis chapter 4, verse 26 we're reminded that the Bible says that they began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And you know what? In the lives of the patriarchs, prayer took the form of, of a dialogue. It was two ways of conversation between them and between God. They talked to each other. And we read the words of the life of Abraham and his prayers because Genesis chapter 17 verse 18, the Bible says, And God said unto Abraham, and Abraham said unto God. Amen. And so, I'm glad that uh, Merrill F. Ugger in his book wrote some very important words about prayer during the time of the patriarchs. Lord, teach me to pray in this series. And I'm glad the patriarchs, the Israelites in all ages, they have expressed the feeling and the dispositions of their hearts by praise, by thanksgiving, by prayer, and by intercession before God. But we find that wherever the patriarchs erected an altar for worship, they did so with the view of calling upon the name of the Lord. And the Pentateuch does not provide us with a great deal of information about the philosophy of prayer, but it does give us insight into the practices of prayer among the Israelites. No religious act was ever performed during the time of the law without being accompanied by prayer. It became an integral part of the public worship for the Jews to God. The Levites offered up prayers continually while the incense was being burned in the temple. They were to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord. And I'm glad that in 1 Chronicles 23, verse 30, the King James says, And to stand every morning to thank and to praise the Lord, and likewise at even. Boy, the life of Moses, the lawgiver, was literally saturated in prayer. A typical prayer by Moses could be found in some words out of Exodus chapter 32, verse 11. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and he said, Lord, why does your wrath burn against your people? And during the time of Joseph, uh, Joshua, excuse me, and the judges, the people of Israel, faithfully cried unto the Lord in prayer. We read of Joshua's words in Joshua 
chapter 7, verses 6 and 7 of the King James, and Joshua rent his clothes, and he fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening tide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. In verse 7 of Joshua 7, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side Jordan. This may not be a message that may be appealed to people right now. I might be preaching to somebody during the tribulation in the future days when the church is raptured out. Many people don't listen to the word of God good these days. But during that time frame, they'll really be listening because the church will be gone. But by the time of David and Daniel, it was an established practice of the Jewish nation to pray regularly three times a day. As we know that Psalms 55, 17, David declared evening and morning and at noon. He, he said in the King James, he said, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Boy, I know Daniel. Daniel told us in Daniel chapter 6 verse 10 that just recently that I mentioned recently, amen, uh, about prayer. Hallelujah. Uh, recently, as I talked about how that uh, God's hand and Daniel's knees or Daniel's prayer made a difference. But he said in verse 10 of Daniel chapter 6, now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. And so it became the practice of the Israelites to pray at all times and in all places. They prayed in the upper chamber, in the solitude of the mountains, in the court of the temple, in public places. And the tragedy is that such praying degenerated into mere pretense and lip service. I remember being at the Wailing Wall and not saying nothing about none of the other Jews that would pray, how that they would pray, how they would rock, and how that they had a rhythm about their prayer uh, in a, a rhythm of cordance. I want to tell you, by the time Christ's prayer had become a mere performance among the Pharisees, these hypocrites, these hypocrites, they would be praying, kneeling in the public square to impress the people passing by the temple. You know, Matthew chapter 6, verses all the way down. In Matthew chapter 6, down to, oh man, probably all the way down to, mm, I'd say, verse 24. We look and we see that... Uh, we saw prayer, we saw fasting, and we saw where our treasure is to be kept. And we saw that how Christ teaches how to pray later on. Because in Matthew chapter 6, he says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the streets to be seen by me. But I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Mm. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. 
Verily I say to you, they have their reward, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, and pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, but for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto men, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. After this matter, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. He goes on in verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And he goes on into fasting. And then he goes on into where our treasures is to be kept. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust do corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye, therefore... Uh, if therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mamma or money. No wonder the day finally arrived when one of Christ's disciples, he said to him, Lord, teach us to pray in Luke. Chapter 11, uh, verse 2. Boy, if you get a chance, read Luke chapter 11 all the way down to verse 13. That he begins to tell us, uh, as I love this very, very powerful part, that he tells us uh, that uh, in Luke chapter 9, And I said to you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is, a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asked a fish, will he give, uh, will he uh, uh, offer him a scorpion or a serpent? Or if he asked an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If he then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that asked him? And that is precisely what Jesus did. He revealed to them the Christian way to pray. Hallelujah. The way that believers should pray. He put prayer on a new, and he put it on a much higher level. He exhibited a new relationship between God and man. The communion of a child with his heavenly father. Boy, Jesus, the words to his disciples that he told, he said in Matthew 6, 6, he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen, and then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. There you have something of the background of the ministry of prayer. We find it right here in the powerful word of God. From a revelation of what it was to a relationship of what it became. Hallelujah. Prayer, the bridge that we build to get over the obstacles and over the hardships of life's road. Prayer has a path, but also prayer has a principle. Amen. In order to pray the, the, the way Christians should pray, 
we look at the principle of prayer. The question is asked, what is your concept of prayer? I mean, because prayer means a lot of different things to different people. Too many people pray and nothing more than just a little bit of this or that. But I'm going to tell you something. Maybe they make a mockery of it. But I'm going to tell you, every one of us today, God, no matter how people think of how remote or uncaring being, boy, I'm going to tell you, God hears the prayers of the righteous. Boy, when we believe that God intervenes directly into the affairs, prayer to others is nothing more than just a form. These people pray with their lips, but not from their hearts. And it's a crutch in times of trouble. It's giving God a, a shopping list of all their wants. People with this view of prayer are concerned only with the getting and the receiving side of that prayer. And so James tells us, you ask and you fail not. In other words, he tells us, he says, every one of us as we struggle against covetedness, he says, you asked and failed to get them because you asked with an evil, selfish motive to spend on the pleasures of things. But he says, from whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill, ye desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet we have not because we ask not. Ye asked and received not because you asked amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Boy, every one of us, the believer that has experienced the reality of the indwelling Christ, prayer is a mighty force. And I'm going to tell you, the Christian's most powerful instrument in their fight against Satan, their fight against the world, their fight against the flesh, the believer in Christ must know how to use and make prayer a central part of their lives. So what is needed in our churches is not more services, not more supplication, more knee time, if you will. More knee time. And so, what's prayer? Prayer is the sweet communion of our soul with our Heavenly Father. It's the supernatural line of communication between God and man. It's the outpouring of our soul to God for those things that He wants us to receive. And so, we make it even more personal. Prayer is the private conversation between two people who love each other. It's more than talking to God. It's talking with God. To express it in the lines, every one of us as we go through life today, amen. I'm glad that we can enter into heaven with our prayers. The expressions of the New Testament that set forth the idea of prayer. They are to beseech, to supplicate, to ask, to intercede, to entreat, to cry, and to call upon. And from these expressions, we learn that prayer is not a monologue, but a dialogue between God and man. We speak to him, and he speaks right back to us. It is God answering in response to man's asking. Remember, we pray not to a power, but to a supreme being who is a person. We speak to a real somebody, living, listening, hearing, answering. Hallelujah, the Holy Trinity is involved in the prayer life of the believer. God the Father whom we pray hears and graciously answers our prayers. And God the Son, He presents our petitions to the Father. And it intercedes for us continuously. 
but it's God the Holy Spirit that's called in the Old Testament the spirit of supplication. And uh, I'm glad that Zechariah uh, tells us uh, that, uh, that he's come to dwell with us, that he might help us in our praying because Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10, the Bible says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Boy, I tell you, Romans, Paul begins to tell us the Spirit, he says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so the Holy Spirit is the divine inspirer of all of our prayers. And he awakens within us the desire to pray. And he creates within us the longing for our blessings that God would have us to receive. And so the Holy Spirit puts God's will within us. So that to ask what we desire of him is to ask what he desires for us. And so every one of us, when we look and realize that. I remember the old uh, song, The Royal Telephone how that we ring it up and how that we begin to talk directly with heaven, amen, in that old uh, burgundy hymnal that I love so well. And I'm glad that each and every one of us praying is much more mere utterance, much more than mere asking, but it is prayer which is weighed down heavily upon the heart by the Spirit of God, inwardly prompted, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it breathes and it breathes in and it breathes out. And it is that spiritual breathing. It is that moment as Christians cease to praise. It is in that moment that we cease spiritually to live that we only exist. And that is why every one of us, when we look and realize that uh, to be a Christian without praying is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. As I quote Harold Linsell, boy, I tell you, when we move to the aspect of prayer, the bridge that we build to get over the obstacles and the hardships of life's roads, that prayer has a path and prayer has a principle. But thirdly, prayer is about a person, praise his holy name. We're learning to pray the Christian way, we the way believers should pray. But we've considered the path and the principle. But let me close out with one thought, that we think of the person of prayer. Particularly important that we realize God is under no obligation to answer the prayers of all the people. I remember talking with a, a, a preacher brother, and uh, he told me, he said, you know, I prayed and there's been miracles, and I prayed and nothing happened. He said one time I was preaching a revival, nobody came down. The doors were open back in those days and the windows at the time. And he said, an old hound dog came in. He said, old hound dog had more heart for me than anybody else did in the service, you know. We wonder sometimes, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Why are there people not coming down to the altar anymore? Why are people not telling people about Jesus? Why are people not long, no longer going to church? Is it I? We need to ask ourselves, is it I? Am I the one that's blocking the Spirit of God? Am I the one causing all the intrusion around here? But I'm going to tell you, God is sovereign. And He can answer the prayers. And He can answer any prayer that He wants to answer. 
He may answer the prayers of, of those that are out there, and he may not. But what we call benevolent grace, not only the born-again believer has the assurance that God will answer his prayers, but there's no doubt about it. Conversation is very essential condition for the assurance of an answered prayer. And listen, if you're lost and you're thinking that you're going to pray about this, that, and all the other things, you're wrong. You've got to start out at first base before you can get a prayer through. Lord, understanding that I'm a sinner, but believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross to free me from the punishment of my sins. I now receive you, my Lord and Savior, into my heart. And from this day forward, I desire to live to please you, Lord. And I'm placing my trust in you for the gift of eternal life. And then once you pray that prayer and you ask God as a repentant sinner to come in to be the keeper of your soul and you step out on faith, then you can get a prayer through. But I thank God until that moment, you're sending up some waves up in the sky that's doing absolutely nothing. We're discovering as we build a bridge of prayer, we must not overlook the kind of person whose prayers will be heard. Boy, James wrote that he says, Confess your faults one to another, pray one for another, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If you had the Greek New Testament before you, you'd find the omission of the article putting the emphasis upon the quality of the man who is praying. James wants us to know that the person of prayer must be a righteous man. Extremely, because the Bible pictures man without any righteousness. Isaiah 64, 6 but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. The Apostle Paul wrote of Romans 3.10. He said, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There you have it. No man whatsoever will ever become a person of prayer on the basis of their own righteousness because you have none. You have none. None of us, but the righteousness of which James writes about comes to man not by human achievement, but by the divine adjustment that when you and I as sinners, that's what we are, are divinely adjusted to Jesus Christ by faith, just exactly what I said a few minutes ago. Then we receive the imputed righteousness of God and Christ is the one who makes us righteous. Praise his holy name. And so Paul wrote, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, it must be admitted then that all genuine prayer, it begins when we are born into God's spiritual family by faith in his son for salvation. And so this involves relationship. In order to have a true relationship between a father and a son, it's dependent upon birth into a family. And when we receive Christ as our Savior from sin, we were born into the family of God. And the Apostle Paul is making it very plain in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. He says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized in Christ have put on Christ. If a person is not in Christ, then they will not have the assurance of answered prayer for God can only be reached in Christ and it is in Christ that God hears and answers. Exactly what I said a while ago. I'm just doubling back and I'm saying it another way. You see, it's no use in spending your time dialing a telephone 
which is not plugged into the socket of the spiritual heavens. If there's no current, there's no diatom. And it is Christ that we're able to get in contact with God. Praise, hallelujah. You have it. That's it. You've got to be born into the family of God if you want your prayers to be answered. You must become a Christian. You must step out on faith. Praise his holy name. You must receive Christ as your Savior. And that is a definite transaction. I'm going to tell you a definite transaction. That there was a time, there was a place, there was a moment when you were born physically. And so there must be a time, there must be a place, there must be a moment when you are born spiritually. Hallelujah. And so, 1 John 3, 22, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. I ask, what is his commandments? What did John's answer in 1 John 3, 23? And this is his commandment, that we should believe, boy, there goes volumes, believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave his commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. It is plainer than day what I just read. What the Word of God tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, the way believers should pray. And that word believe, it's the acceptance of Christ, the Savior of life from the guilt of indwelling sin. And when we do this, we claim the promise that Peter wrote about in 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, verses 12 and 13. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? Oh, I'm glad that uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman writes about his eyes are always upon you. I'm glad that they are. Every one of us, he's watching, he's listening to our prayers. But if you want to pray the Christian the way believers should pray, you know what? This is where you need to start because it all starts as you kneel at the foot of the cross. Father, thank you for the word. May someone make a commitment to you to look back and realize that, Father, the greatest thing that we could ever do, every one of us, each and every day of our lives, Lord, is we look back and realize that our prayer is something that's very powerful. The way that believers should pray, Father, that we look and we realize that prayer has a path. Prayer has a principle and prayer has a person. Lord, you are that person. And until the lines are hooked up and connected, Lord, we're just wasting our time until we mean it from the depths of our heart and say it from our mouths. Lord, save me a sinner. Thank you for the message. And continue, Lord, to teach us to pray in Jesus' marvelous mighty name. Amen. Amen.